In the software support system, the people are represented by two separate but equally important groups, the developers who write the code and the engineers who support the people who use it. These are their stories. Welcome to devmo.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And today we have on Ben Croker from Put Your Lights On. Hello there. And we also have on Ali Bond from Pixel and Tonic. How are you doing, Ali? I'm good, thank you. Hi. And the reason we have you on, Ali, is we wanted to talk to you about support because this is something we've been talking about for a long time. Is that as plugin developers, we feel that we're kind of in the support business, but then also as clients of Pixel and Tonic, when we're building websites, we kind of lean on the craft support a good bit. So, Ali, if you are out in Saratoga Springs, New York, at Lollapalooza, and you were crowd surfing <laughs> during a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert, and you landed up on stage, and Anthony Kiedis said to you, hey, Ali, how did you end up doing support? Uh, what would you tell him? I run towards the guitar player and just start a solo, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Andrew, is this one of your real stories, or are you just generating new stories now? You will never know. Anyway, so t- tell us, Ali. Come on, come on. Anthony is an p- impatient man. He wants to hear what's going on. The crowd's eagerly awaiting. What's your story? How'd you end up in support? I ended up in support after a strange life. I, uh, I'm French, as you can hear, I guess. And I, I grew up in a tiny little village here. I wasn't a very good, very good student student, let's say it that way. And when I had to start working, unfortunately, I couldn't get a job because I had no qualification whatsoever. Nothing nothing was available to me. So I ended up on building sites, in factories. I'd study a bit of engineering. So I spent some time in factories and it, it just wasn't something that I wanted to do. And I wanted to do, I don't know, to find, you know, some something more stimulating, more interesting. And my sister had moved to the UK probably seven years before I did. And one day we were talking and she said, oh, I just got back home and I've got a laptop and I plug that on the phone and I can ask questions on, on the phone line, sorry. And I can ask questions on search engines and, and I thought I really want to try that. And I moved to the UK to go and see what computers were like. And she also said that... Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. They'd, wait, wait, you had to move to the UK to see what computers were like? They had them in France, well, right? Didn't I'd, they? I'd, I'm rewinding a little. I, okay. She, in the, in the same breath, she said, you know, if you want to change career, the UK is probably the place because... Because you, if you show that you want to be to do something, you know, people will give you a chance with or mm. without the qualification. Mm. So I decided to to go there, and I arrived. I saw the computer first thing, <laughs> and decided just to give it a, ch- a shot, basically. So I gave myself a couple of months for something to see if I could find a find a job. And I couldn't speak English when I arrived, so that was a bit tricky to interview. And there was one American company based in the town I was in, uh, where the Fran- uh, a French department, a French branch as such. So I went to see them. The manager was French himself, like bilingual. And I interviewed with him, explained I just wanted to do something, anything. And they gave me a job as a cleaner. So I started as a cleaner. And after a few months within the same company, and after having learned a little bit of English, they gave me a position as an accountant. So from cleaner, I became an accountant. I mean, it's pretty much the same thing, really. Yeah, yeah, it is the same thing. Definitely. <laughs> it was credit control as well. So it's very close to cleaning. Mm-hmm. And then the company went bust, unfortunately. So I ended up unemployed. Cleaners doing their accounting. I mean, you know, what do you expect? <laughs> oh, very needle. good. Very good. Wow. So then I, uh, I had to find something else to do. And 10,000 mop heads. Why do we need 10,000 mop heads? <laughs> 
<laughs> sorry, sorry, Arlen, go ahead. No, no, that's cool. I did a bit of stamping and I ended up at the Royal Mail, so the post office, for those who are not from the UK, and doing customer service of some kind or something. And already there, I, I, I was still playing at home with computers in the evening, so I'd spent some time in Excel and stuff, and I started writing reporting for them in VB. So this is very old Excel. I can't remember which version, but old stuff. But still, in the, in, still as a temp, basically. And then they offered, uh, they advertised a few positions, one of which I was in, so a customer service position, to change the job from a temp job to a permanent position. So I applied for the job, went to the interview, and they asked me my strength and why I think I'd be a good person for the position. And so I started saying, well, I, I did, I made all those reports and, you know, I can do this in Excel and I can write that. And I didn't get the job. They said to me, basically, we're looking for customer service representative, not a developer. <laughs> So that didn't work out for, for me and I lost that job. And then as another temp job, I ended up in a college, adult community college, doing some data entry. It was exam time and they needed to just put all the results basically in their, um, their database system, whatever they had. So I did some data entry for a while there and got friendly with the teachers and the director for the, uh, of the college and all those people. And every now and then they'd have uh, problems in classrooms and they had an IT guy in place in the college. But And I'm not pointing at anybody, but you know what IT people can be like. <laughs> so the teachers, when they were having problems, they started coming to see me instead of seeing this guy because I was friendly or because, I don't know. And it was often, you know, oh, the, the printer's not working or I can't connect to the drive. Or So I used to help teachers. And one day, the, the the principal of the college came to see me and said they kept on getting this great feedback about me and about the way I had with pupils and, you know, how I could solve problems with a smile and make everybody feel at ease. And, and he said to me, I think you should become a teacher. Hmm. Isn't that funny, Ollie? that yeah. there was an <laughs> IT person on staff that presumably was very knowledgeable, but people avoided them because of their, you know, their bedside manner or their interactions with people or whatever you want to call it. And they started gravitating towards you because you were treating them like a human, I presume. I mean, that definitely says something in terms of how important interpersonal skills are, regardless of how smart you are or how much you know about a particular thing. If people don't feel like dealing with you, they're just going to avoid you if you're a jerk. For sure. I, th I think yeah. communication is communication is key. And I, I feel there is a difference. Again, there doesn't apply to everybody, you know, but there is a difference between when you yourself taught on something and mm. when you've been given it via a school or via a course or, or, or whatever. Mm. I think there's an openness to being, to being self-taught and a way to communicate things that's more human that what you could learn in a classroom. I wasn't technical, basically. That was the, that was the point in, in mm. this context as such. You know, when it wasn't working, I was just making a joke of it and I wasn't saying, Oh, this is because the, you know, there's no, not enough RAM or because the, the printer can't connect to TCP. I, I, I don't know, you know, some technical thing. I was just being human about it. Right. So at that point, my, my first reaction to this offer was just, well, I don't have qualification to do this, uh, to do this position. And I'm not, I'm not very great in a classroom environment. I like to learn at my own pace and being, you know, just self-taught, basically. I, I've learned everything I know this way. And I, yeah, I struggled a, a little bit, I guess, with, with school and with authority somewhere. So what they offered to me was to just try the exams without doing the courses. So he said to me, "We, you would need to have a, a qualification in English, one in maths, and one in teaching as such. 
So I did, I did two A-levels in English and maths and one teaching qualification, which is City and Gales 7407, I think it was, or I can't remember the, the thing. But anyway, they offered to me to just try and do the exam with what I knew. And if I passed, well, great. If I didn't, then I could do the course if I wanted to. Mm. And, and I took those three exams and I passed them all, <laughs> believe it or not. So I ended up with uh, an A-level in both maths and English and a teacher's qualification. That was easy. And yeah, <laughs> and I became... I'm a teacher within this uh, within this college, so I taught English at basic basic skills. It was school. So uh, either you were really good, or their standards were really low, right? <laughs> um, you know, English again. I'd learn it when I arrived there. Basically, listen to people and f- French. If any of you can speak French, French is a very complicated language. I yeah, why don't you guys? What do you? Why do you hate consonants so much? Why won't you pronounce them? What's going on? <laughs> well. Don't ask me, ask the French. <laughs> no, but French is a difficult language and the way you're taught at school is very different. I, I, I saw this when, when I was in the UK and I, you know, I had friends who had children and they were showing me the, the, like the English coursework and this sort of stuff. In France, you learn grammar for, well, for all your life, but I mean, you, you don't have to say, you learn how to build sentences. You're not just given sentences to repeat. And in English, when I, when I was seeing the coursework from the, from those kids i was thinking well they're just telling you you know if you need to ask somebody how they are you say how are you but why in this order what is how what is are and english just came quite naturally because of this because on the understood uh, language structure and how to build sentences. As soon as I got it in English, I was just missing a few words or, you know, a few verbs or, or whatever. But I got it quite quickly. And the, the A level in, in English is not very complicated. And I bet you, Ali, you're right. There are lots of people in the United States, and I would assume in other English speaking countries, that if you ask them in the sentence, how are you? What exactly is the word how? Yeah. Like they probably wouldn't be able to tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, they probably would have no idea, mm. you know, in terms I- of exactly what it, but Here's what I'm here's what I'm concerned about though. You were in the United Kingdom and you were your teacher there. And then it sounds like something traumatic happened because you ended up back in some remote village in France doing support stuff. So how do how do we like, let's fast forward. How do we, how did we get there? What happened? Uh, that that was a choice actually. From being a teacher, I um I started using Photoshop to make posters for my courses and mm-hmm. I thought, "Oh, I'd love to be a designer." So I became a designer and being a designer, I started thinking, "Well, I could make a website now." And I started looking at code and I thought, "Well, I love code. I'd love to be a programmer. So I got a job as a programmer and then it escalated and I ended up with an agency. I had, a, I had my, own, my own agency in the UK. And after a few years of doing that, I had, I traveled quite a lot and I had uh, a few big clients and I just decided to stop working in computers. Mm. At some point, it, it just wasn't clicking with me anymore. The, the direction things were going, social media was getting big, this sort of stuff. And clients would come for a website and say, oh, can you do social media at the same time? I don't know if you see what I mean, but it wasn't my thing. I liked mm. I like design and I like coding, but SEO, or social presence or these sort of things were, ju- were just not for me. I was not interested. And deep it's down... Not, it's not for many people in fairness. <laughs> exactly. And deep down, I don't, um, I don't truly believe in it. And I'm sure you know where I'm coming from with that. Oh, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. All these SEO experts selling you packages. So because I, I wasn't willing to do it as part of the job we would deliver as an agent, as an agency, we would have to, we would have to work in partnership with SEO consultant. And, oh, God. It's and the it worst. Would... It's the worst because there are people that do legit SEO work, especially SEM. Yeah, but... yeah definitely. And but... that's the key, isn't it? I, I mean, right. SEO 
SEO, you build a website, you optimize it for search engine. Of course you do. But without SEM, it's nothing. Right. But but that's the thing, man, is there the industry is just riddled with snake oil salesmen. I mean, it just is. It, it's kind of like I always liken it to the diet and exercise industry yeah. where, of course, there are legitimate dietitians and, of course, there are legitimate trainers. But it's also just a cesspool of people selling you diet pills and quick fixes and crap like that. And the SEO world is almost exactly the same thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if I could move us along, I mean, the crowd's out there, they're chanting for Californication, they're getting, you know, they're wondering, how did you get to Pixel and Tonic? Yeah. So I stopped the agency and I decided to leave the UK and go back to the countryside to to change life, basically, you know, Mm -hmm. to change Become a a beet farmer. You want to be a beet farmer, right? (laughs) You know, my first idea was being a gardener. Or you you could grow your own cheese, right? You guys grow (laughs) grow cheese somewhere, don't you? We grow anything you want. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, <laughs> I, I always no. pictured like in the French countryside, there's the baguette tree and you just walk up to it and you twist a baguette <laughs> off and you, you start eating it, right? That's where it grows, It's right? not a baguette tree. It's called a bakery. Oh. oh okay. <laughs> so yeah, now just re- that's it. I decided to go back to the, uh, to the village I came from, basically, originally, just to be near the forest. I had a bit of time in front of me, so I, I just wanted, you know, to, to have a think as such and do something more natural, closer to people, I guess, and less computer. Gardner was a, was an idea of mine to start with, but of course that didn't really work out. And then I thought I would like to do some, I would like to help people. I would like to do something like psychology or hypnotherapy or something, you know, to, to actually help others. And again, being back in this country where you need the qualification to be able to actually practice, you know, the, uh, the, the job you, you want, that would never have happened basically. I couldn't have gone back to school to study psychology in full and and stuff. So I thought, well, I've got something in my hand, which is computers, and I want to help people. What could I do? And I spent some time on Stack Exchange just to, you know, to spend time literally helping people. And then I thought, well, this could potentially be a job. Mm. And not long after, there was a job from Pixel and Tonic looking for a support engineer. So I thought, well, here's the job. I know Craft. My agency was built on Craft and Expression Engine before that. Okay, so you had heard of Pixel and Tonic, right? I was going to ask you, like, how? I, I was going to ask you how. Did you even see this job listing? But your your agency was already using Expression Engine and yeah, yeah, then yeah. Craft. So, so okay, I I knew not personally, but I knew of Brandon from the Expression Engine time. So with Player and Matrix, and I'd seen him speak in Leiden in Holland, one of the Expression Engine conference, and he announced Pixel and Tonic. At that conference, because he was making the add-ons, the add-ons for free, and he had a job on the side, but support was taking all his time. So he said, well, I'm going to need to sell my plugins now, and I'm going to stop my job, open a company, and it's going to be Pixel and Tonic. Mm. So at, already at that time, that resonated with me. And you also had the connection where, because before Brandon ended up doing any of this computer stuff, he was a lumberjack in the, the Oregon <laughs> wilderness, <laughs> felling trees. So he kind of had a connection to the land like you did with, with farming and decided to kind of get back into it. So it sounds like you were kind of two peas in a pod in a way. That's it. No, but Stack Exchange, you know, I, I wanted to go back on computers because I'd not done anything for two and a half years nearly when I came back to France. Mm. And I thought, well, you need to start somewhere. And Stack Exchange has always been a pleasant place. And I thought, well, just, you know, really? do a Wait, few whoa, hours. Whoa, 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 <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Hold I like on. it. I, I like problem solving. That's the thing. We, we're getting to the point of it, you know, because. Well, I like, say, I like problems. I, I like problem solving too. But saying that Stack Exchange has always been a pleasant place, ah. 
I always had a nice time. I mean, I didn't contribute that much or whatever, but I always like to see issues and being able to help people do it. You know, it's like some cities, Ali. It's like certain cities. It depends on where you go. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> There's that. There's that. But, you know, it's it's a procra- um, procrastination thing. People go on Stack Exchange when they don't want to do their work. Yeah. And a few of the, I was speaking to a friend a few days ago, uh, Dave, who spends time on Stack Exchange himself. And he said to me, that's when I don't want to do my work. <laughs> right. He goes on, you know, so there is something to it. And I remember seeing a presentation from a girl called uh, Jessica Heisch, I think. She she works in typography. She's quite well known online. And she, she created that term, procrasty working. What you do when you're supposed to be working, but you're not, is probably what you should do as a job. Mm. Which also really resonated <sighs> with me. I don't know, but the people won't pay me to sleep, though. That's the problem, you know. And that's you know that's the basic answer. Many people said, "Well, I love to play v- uh, video games, so how can I monetize that?" But you know, well, there yeah. you could even make a money being a professional video gamer. But like, for instance, Pat Patrick now, just likes to Patrick just likes to watch movies. Mm, no one's yeah, going to pay him to do that, right? Yeah, just procrastination. Yeah, but you could make, for example, um, a film critique site. You know, and spend what, your time it? and try and monetize that. I know that's competitive, but it's an example just of like the way of thinking about it of course if everybody could choose they would probably want to be in bed all day or do nothing but you have to so you might as well make make it enjoyable i guess and no one's no one's gonna pay ben to you know glide through the alps right ben you you can't (laughs) like you can't put on like a nascar style you know logo stuff and be sponsored and do that can you i don't know i could make a business model out of that somehow i could delivery delivery man by air would you have like wedding announcements attached to your feet you know you (laughs) String them along behind you as you sort around or something? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> With the colored smoke coming out the back. Yeah. <laughs> that would actually be hilarious. I would pay to see that. And anyway, let, let's get back to what we're talking about here with Ollie. So, so yeah. you ended up applying for the job. You work at Pixel and Tonic. Yeah. What, do you, what does it look like in your day? Like uh, when you sit down, mm-hmm. uh, I would imagine you have some kind of a ticketing system and you start going through it. But how do you view this when you sit down to approach a problem that someone has sent you? What, what are you thinking and what does the procedure look like? Because we're, we're on our end. We're, we're trying to build something and we're using your, your being pixel and tonic. We're using your tool to build this thing and we're running into a problem. And, and we're trying to build something using this thing that you have built. So then we, we contact you for support and, you know, how does it go from there? Well, we read the message and do our best basically. <laughs> That's it. Short answer. No, I'm kidding. So, well, that's the thing with with craft itself. You know, it's not just craft. You've got many layers to it. Craft is built on a framework itself and the framework mm. is in a particular language. So tickets coming in can be quite varied. You know, what what the issue is, it could be Composer, it could be PHP, it could be it could be Yee, it, it could be anything. So the first thing when you get a ticket, when I get a ticket, I guess, is understand what the problem is and gauge how the person on the other side is feeling because that's well, that's important to me. At least. You know how how you're gonna what tone you can use. Is it time for for a joke or not? You know what I mean. Mm, and gauge yeah. the, the urgency. Any problem is a regardless of the, the intensity of the problem. A problem is a problem, and nobody lives well with a problem on their mind. So I'm always conscious that on the other side, there's somebody in need of help. It is computer help. It's not you know life saving help or anything. But sometimes it can be very pressing. For it can be very stressful for people to be stuck. 
on right. something. Right, because they have a client that is That's, pressing on them and saying, hey, you know, why isn't this thing working? You know what I mean? So they, in some senses, they're, they're kind of caught in the middle, right? That's it. That's it. There is some of that. And the, the responsibility falls back on us because, well, they're using our product. So right. there you go. Now, in terms of the, I, I can tell you from my experience doing, I've done support in a variety of areas, but a lot of times what happens is, or the biggest problem that I have is not people being jerks, because for the most part, people are pretty reasonable. I mean, you know, occasionally you'll get jerks in there or whatever, but for the vast majority of people are not, you know, because they're reaching out for help. The biggest problem I have is I just don't have enough information. People mm-hmm. will say, this doesn't work. And I'll be like, um, okay. <laughs> You know, I'd love to help you, but I need a whole lot more information. Do you run into that at all? And how do you counter that? All the time. So there's you can reach support via either the website or just send a plain email as such. So the website tries to advise a little bit and say, you know, give us details or be precise about the issue. But some people just throw an email saying doesn't work. And mm-hmm. that's it, basically. Or just, you know, an error message with nothing. It's it's just in the subject or, or whatever. So unfortunately, the first, the first ticket back is often questions, right. unfortunately. And that's something, if somebody has a solution to solve this, like we have on GitHub, for example, you can have a, a template for issues. So you ask people to describe how to replicate, what version they're on and stuff. Basic information as such, you know. If we could make sure that every email coming in had this information, it would save one ticket at least. But that's that's the first step, I guess, is gathering information and understand. Um, you know what I've seen? I've seen a flowchart Mm-hmm. where they make people go through this these in a wizard style. Did you try this? You know, yes or no. Have you, <laughs> did you include the log? You know, yes or no. And you don't even get to submit the ticket until you have clicked all through these things. And on the one hand, I was like, oh, that seems like a really good idea. But then on the other hand, as being someone that had to go through that, I was just severely annoyed. I'm just like, do I really? It's like calling the, the cable company and they're like, did you try turning it off and back on again? You're like, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, one of the challenges, uh, Ali, I assume, is that you have so many different channels of support, right? So people can post GitHub issues, they can send emails, they can use the the support form on craftcms.com, mm-hmm. they can send you a tweet. So how do you funnel all of this, or yeah, do you funnel all of this into one kind of ticketing system so that you can so that you can tackle all of the su- support e- issues and manage them and collect the information that you need? Yeah. So uh, uh, we use Zendesk, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm lucky enough to know I have to deal with with everything of course you know there is brad and brandon and everybody i mean everybody does support that pixel and tonic it's not just me my job title is that but yeah. every everybody does it i don't do much in terms of i'm not on social media myself i don't really like the format i find it difficult Bless um, you. <laughs> <laughs> so for example discord is a very difficult format for me i'm starting to well i try i have phases basically i'd go on it for a week and then i'd stop for six months because i, I find it quite noisy I can understand i can understand right. some people yeah. can cope with it but i have tickets that sometimes i need to concentrate on and i can't just have things pinging at me all day long so i try yeah. to, I try discord, to focus and, yeah discord is more like new york city than it is a quiet village in northern france and you know it's it's a lot of context switching because of course you don't get tickets one by one you work on multiple mm-hmm. tickets at once so you know from switch switching from tickets to tickets and remember where you are at having different installs 
running at the same time and not getting lost basically and not waste time on on things my time and people on people on the other side on the other side the, the goal is to solve so you know the quicker you get there the better basically i like so do you do you have a strategy where you pull things in to zendesk and take care of them there but then respond to people through the channels that they contacted you well, i know github has github has an integration that integrates with zendesk uh we, we don't have github in in zendesk no we've got social uh, media on on zendesk uh brad brad brandon andres in terms of craft of course no i'm not talking about commerce there but they look after after github you know they engineer they know the product differently than i do i need to know a little about everything brandon of course knows everything about everything and the others just you know if it's something project config andres is going to jump on it for example mm-hmm. because he built the thing so he knows it and github are more high level issues as such it's if somebody posts something on github they're a developer they've got a github account so you know they know already a little bit more than some of the ticket that we can get in Zendesk, so emails, because we get end client end users sometimes. So people bypass the agencies and just write in saying, "I need to add a, oh, a wow. header on my website." And mm-hmm. I, I always do it in a in a nice way. But I say, you know, you can do anything with Craft. We didn't build your site, and we don't have access to it. So maybe try and contact the person who built it. Right. That'd be a more logical point of call for for this. Oh, well, and in fairness, partners. and also in fairness, they may be used to a system where they actually could do that. In the past you know maybe they had a wix site or something like that that. yeah there is where they could do that but i want to i want to ask ben because ben croker you are someone that when we had you on here to talk about sprig i asked you what the cost of sprig was right and you said what do you mean it's free i'm like no no no. what's the cost of it in terms of support and does any of this resonate with you is this something that you're exploring in terms of the human support is becoming more of an issue yeah well i think i think it's important to distinguish between free open source software and a commercial product for which software is also expected and provided but yes it's it's a challenge it's it's always been a challenge and always probably will be a challenge that's why i'm curious in ollie's experience of how they gather the information they need what techniques they use because really very often the better the question is asked the easier it is to help the person and often requests will come in like i'm getting a white screen help right so that whole process of getting the information out of the people right uh, so that i can help them is a very tedious and often time-consuming process yeah so you agree Um, with me that a big you know one of the biggest problems is just getting the information that you need yeah. to be able to help them. Absolutely, absolutely. And and one of the challenges that I'm facing as well as everybody else here, I assume, is that people can contact me through various channels. So mm. people will often ping me on Discord and just ask me questions out of the blue. And sometimes it'll be midnight over here, right? Um, because I'm a few hours ahead of the US. So so it's, it's important for me, and this takes a bit of self-discipline to tell people or to educate people on how to, not necessarily how to ask for support, but where to ask for support. Mm. Um, and as gently as possible, I also try to help people to ask better questions because then they're just going to end up getting better support from me. Mm. It's it's difficult because when people write in with a problem, they are. It goes back to what we were saying, you know. They are they are not uh, their normal self. 
as such. They are in a position of panic or fear or mm. they are under pressure. So they don't think clearly anymore. And I get, I get what you say about educating, but I, I can tell you the repetition. I, I'm not pointing at anybody or anything, but even people who are, let's call them frequent flyers, they, they still, they write in, you say, Oh, can you send me that? And you've done it 15 times, you know, and they still write in without sending anything. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I, one of the things that I always try to do is I send them a link where here's where the documentation tells you how, how to do this thing that I just told you with the idea being maybe they'll help themselves in the future. And, and, you know, there's probably a percentage of people that will do that, but there also is a percentage of people that what they will have learned from the support is not that they should go to the documentation, but that you will answer them. You know what I mean? So it's almost like um, baby birds with their mouths open. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, well, what I learned is that Ollie gives me the answer to this thing. So I'm just going to ask Ollie. You know what I mean? And you know, you're completely right. I see different behaviors from people when Brad, for example, answer and when I answer. Mm. I see people react differently. And I, I think I have, I've shut myself in the foot in that sense a little bit because I am a helper by nature. I, I, I chose this job because that's what I want to do. I actually want to help. Mm-hmm. And I think some people can feel it and it can, it can become unhelpful in a sense because yeah, they just have to, you know, the email, the email easy, let's say they just fire, you know, or I'm stuck i'm gonna write well the other thing the other part of it is brad always adds to the end of his support emails p.s don't forget we're all gonna die really soon anyway you know (laughs) so so the fact that he includes that probably scares people off you know to one extent or another but ben i want to i want to get back to you just a little bit on the support stuff because i know that you know obviously there's support for your paid plugins there's support for sprig but what do you think a good model is for making this economically viable for you to be able to support both the free stuff and the pay stuff because you know it all costs time in the end so you got to figure out something to do and i'm curious if any of the directions that pixel and tonic has taken with their paid support if that is something that has you've looked into or, or has interested you or if there's anything you want to ask ollie about that yeah well maybe before i talk about kind of business model one of the strategies that i have begun employing or have been doing this for a very long time is i mean what you were kind of alluding to andrew is that as questions come in i will I would check the documentation and check if that if I'd missed something or if I had not explained something as well as I could have and possibly then rework that or write a kind of frequently asked questions or common issues or mm-hmm. a knowledge base or a guide, that kind of thing that I can point people to. Because if if I know that, that that exists, then support requests that come in, I can just point them there and then help the people help themselves. The other strategy, of course, is building su- what I think of building support into the plugins that I develop. And what I mean by that is just make it easier for people to understand what's expected of them within the plugin. So Mm. anything from little instructions underneath fields, especially in plugin settings where things are not clear. And I very often use that info tooltip. So there'll be instruction text and then an info tooltip, which will go into a little bit more detail. And then if they want even more detail, there's a link to the specific place in the documentation. And it's kind of like stepping them through this process and trying to kind of catch them catch them before they decide to shoot an email off to me saying help right it's kind yeah, of like you're walking to move, through them the, this process yeah you're trying to move 
where the support is done, essentially. Exactly, yeah. And for something like Sprig, which is free open source and kind of different from a traditional plugin, because it's kind of a, a way of writing your Twig templates and working with Twig templates, I'm putting probably, yeah, I, probably think, I think it would probably be fair to say more work into creating le- learning resources than writing the plugin itself uh, and doing the development. But it's hopefully it's paying off because it will, well, the hope is that it will reduce the support burden on me. It will help people to figure things out on on their own and it will then free up some time for me to go back and work on features and development in terms of business model and monetizing support it's a tricky one like that's I think the business model that I'm currently working with, which is selling plugins in the plugin store with annual renewal fees, is that the hope is that enough people buy the plugin and enough people know how to use the plugin and the support reduces over time so that the renewal costs and the license fees will su- will support the cost of the support. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that's as far as I've gotten. And I would be interested to hear from Ollie how it's going with, with the, the support plans that Craft CMS offer, because I think they have the pro and premium plans. So I would be interested to, to hear how that's going if it's kind of paying for support in, within Craft and Pixel and Tonic itself. Let me just mention something from my perspective on this, Ben. So let's yeah. say that I work at an agency and I use Sprig. I've adopted Sprig because it allows me to do cool stuff and I'm going to start using that on all of my sites. So I want to use Sprig on all of my sites. It's in my vested interest that Sprig gets improved and updated and it's supported and it's around for a long time. So from that perspective, even though I might initially not like the idea of paying you for support or paying you for some part of it, the long game part of me would understand that I really actually want you to do well. Like the, the worst thing that could happen Happen, is you came out with this awesome free open source sprig thing and I start using it everywhere and you get so burnt out on support that you just are done with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So Ali, how can how have the paid support plans worked out for you? And is this something that Ben could consider maybe doing? I um, Brandon presented this at Dotto last year in Canada. When we launched the paid support plan a few months afterwards, they were covering my salary already. Mm. I think there is something to be said for paid support for sure it's like an insurance for some people right. you know, they, they're going to use your your product they're more than willing to pay and we see it at first it, it, the question was well we do it for free at the moment all of a sudden we're going to say you can pay for it are actually are people actually going to pay for it and yes they do of course they do because there's nothing worse than being stuck and not being able to to demand the help in a sense if you see what i mean uh, from the time you pay you can be more you can be more direct you can you well yeah yeah demanding i guess is is the words you know if you've not paid for something in terms of support with us we send a ticket back saying we'll response within we'll respond within the week mm-hmm. i think the paid plan introduces 12 hours so the pro support plan gives you a 12 hours guaranteed response time first response time not resolution and premium plan is two hours for for some project it's it's critical for people to actually have that plan mm-hmm. and they don't hesitate a second to actually buy it and there's all sorts of people subscribing there's some free Freelancers, you know, just working on their own to avoid wasting the time to look for things themselves or that understand that it's just beyond them. Some problem are going to be beyond them. So they, they pay for support. And I mean, it seems to have worked well. I'm, I don't keep track of it personally, but I, I know it's, it's worked well and it carries on working well because we're employing more support staff now and customers have been quite creative. We are the, we are the client who bought pro support, but instead of using it for emails, they ask if they could add 
had a call once a month for an hour with me as nearly consultancy as such, you know. So as they were moving along their, pro- their, their project, we'd do a meeting monthly. They would prepare a list of questions and ask questions on that call. And they knew they had somebody from Pixel and Tonic. And if I didn't have the answer, then I could ask Brandon or Brad or Andres or anyone to have the actual answer and the final answer. Because oh, yeah, you're cutting into my support business. How dare you? My consulting <laughs> business. What are you, what are you doing? No, no I, I, I think there's a fine line between the two. Super, paid support is close <laughs> to consulting. Yeah. No, Definitely. and I think this is a really interesting thing to think about, Ben. So, for instance, I don't know if you folks know, but the people who originally created Redux have created something called Remix for React, which is sort of like a, a framework for building React apps or whatever. And they started charging for it. So it's $250 a year for an indie license, and it's $1,000 a year for a team license for this thing. Mm-hmm. So two things to note. One, you're paying for it, and it's not an insubstantial amount of money. And two, it's on a subscription basis, right? So it's yearly, and it's talking about you can use it, you get support, all that kind of stuff. And they said that in the first week of doing this, they had more money coming in than they had in the first two years <laughs> on their GitHub sponsor stuff. So it, it, to me, this is kind of like the, the license enforcement for craft and for plugins. It's money left on the table if you don't have some kind of a paywall for some of this stuff because a lot of people are very happy to take the free stuff and i think and i think this applies to support as well so if people are willing to pay for it i would much rather that someone pays you ben to do this stuff and that you're around and supporting this thing what do you what do you think yeah i i think you make a very good point and it's very reassuring to hear that it has gone so well for craft for pixel and tonic i think it's i don't, I, I try to be careful of comparing the craft community with react or even with the la- the likes of laravel or some javascript communities because they're of a different scale completely i don't know i mean here's here's the only place i disagree is i keep on saying that we're in the support business i think pixel and tonic is in the support business and the reason i say that is craft is not the end product right the end product is the thing they build with craft and they often need support to make that i don't know that's just my personal hang up though yeah i guess i guess the question is how you how you provide the support like if you ask for i don't know i think the pro support plan for craft cms is 75 dollars a month, then you need a significant number of people paying that to be able to cover one person's or or multiple people's full-time salary to handle support. Mm-hmm. Whereas that's the other question I guess I have to, to you, Ollie, in a moment is are people limited? So you talked about the response time, but is someone who's paying $75 a month, is are they limited by how much support they, they receive or is it they're paying? So now they have this privilege of getting all the support they could ever want. But before we go into that, maybe the other thing that I wanted to say is that I, I have been considering charging for maybe support, but also the creation of these learning resources, because learning resources, I think, are are really helpful in helping like not only giving people support like helping them solve their problems but helping them to become better developers and better at using their tools which they're using day day in day out but creating these learning resources like you know screencasts and video recordings and demos and examples are all extremely time consuming. I have been considering how to do that, but I have some ideas for Sprig and I haven't settled on anything yet, but we shall see. Well, that's a model that lots of people have taken, right? Our our friend Ryan Ireland has got a whole business based around making videos of, you know, showing people how to do stuff. And it's something that Adam Wathan and any number of other people have started little cottage businesses by creating a thing for free and then selling some kind of courseware 
there or, or something around it. You know, I mean, that's, exactly. that's a thing that yeah. people do. Yeah. The only thing I think, I, I, like I said before, I think we still need to consider the the size of the community out yep. there and, and yep. how many people are willing to pay and how much they're willing to pay. I think we probably need to price, like when there are fewer people in the community, you probably have to price a bit higher because the chances of getting hundreds or thousands of subscriptions is probably a bit lower. Well, here's the other thing, though, that I think is kind of, it's, there's a tension because when you're creating these learning resources, you're benefiting the people that are going to access them, certainly, but you're also benefiting yourself because there's less support you're going to have to do, you know, mm-hmm. because you can point people at these learning resources and be like, here, you know, like here's everything that you need. So it's, it's tough, you know, it's there. Okay. So I guess there are three areas where you could potentially ask for income from this thing. So you could charge for the thing itself if you wanted to. So if you wanted to make Sprig a paid plugin, for instance, you could do that. And another thing you could potentially charge for, and you, you know, if you wanted to, you could build the support into the price of the Sprig plugin, you know, so you kind of would ballpark it and average it and do it that way. You could also charge for the videos or learning resources, you know, whatever whatever they are. And then finally, you can also charge for the actual support that you do, you know, premium support. I'm not advocating you charge for all of these things, right? <laughs> Trust right, me. Right. I'm not suggesting that you just try and milk something dry until it dies. Like you don't want to do that. At the, at the moment, my feeling is that I would like to develop learning resources, like really advanced learning resources and high quality ones and charge for that. At the moment, it doesn't quite sit right with me to charge for support. But I think I should actually put that into perspective because by support, I mean like people are having issues or people are filing bugs. I want to be on that and I want to fix it and be there for people. However, there is this situation which happens every now and then where people will be blatantly asking me, you know, how to, how they should do their jobs, basically, you know, how how should they build this thing and build this for me, Ben. Yeah, basically. (laughs) And very often that conversation kind of goes, well, I'd be happy to to help you with this, but it will take more time. We'll have to schedule something in. And if you want, here's, you know, my, my consulting rate or whatever. Mm. And it's kind of counterintuitive, but part of the time people just won't get back to me. There'll be no response. But another part of the time, people will be very happy to hear that and will jump on it. And it's almost as if they didn't know this was a possibility, you know? Right. So it's like, if you really want support, then you can try and get it for, for free. But there always, I think, is the possibility to request consulting work just for a couple of hours hours to to help you fix that issue and that's possibly an issue like a problem on my part that i haven't communicated that well enough maybe. and that's support right but here's the thing i wouldn't segment these things even though that's what i did just about five minutes ago <laughs> segmenting them <laughs> because all of these things if you boil it down to it it's your time either your time is spent building the plugin your time is spent making training resources your time is spent doing support your time is spent you know one-on-one consulting it's all your time and you just kind of need to figure out where you want to get paid for that time. You know what I mean? So I would love to hear from Ollie how those plans work out. Like, do you do you set limits for the amount of support you offer people? Or how do you distinguish between those two support plans besides response time? So the, the way it's done is in Zendesk, basically, there's an SLA functionality. So, you know, we know which ticket is a premium and which is a pro one. In terms of limit of tickets, there isn't one. So people can literally write all the time as such and expect the answer it's it doesn't happen most people are pretty good which we try to help in the 
in an educational manner. So, you know, sending back the docs, there is an agreement, there are terms and conditions, you know, to the support. It's developer to developer support, but we're not going to develop for people either. We, we do help as much as we can and we go deep in <laughs> sometimes, <coughs> but it can't be on every ticket and it can't be on everything either. You know, we, education is a big part of that. Craft is a tricky one in, in comparison to, I was going to say, a plugin to some plugin is that what you can do is so vast. Mm. You know, this is a CMS that comes in empty. There is yeah. nothing in it as such, you know? So every, every, every ticket, every project, it's, is its own product as such. You know, people yeah. build craft and build something with craft that we don't know of. So there's this communication <laughs> aspect, which we discussed. We need to understand every single project for people. And often people write in saying, this, that, that, that doesn't work and I can't do this. And, and it's like, well, slow down. I don't know your project yet. Explain a little bit. Mm. The, the pro support to, to go back on that. I think the pro support, I don't know if it was a surprise because if it was planned, the team is smart enough to, you know, to think things through. If they decided to, to create pro page support, they'd, they had thought about it as such. And I was surprised personally when I saw that people would pay for it. But I think it's, it's a case of you don't know until you, you offer it. And you guys would probably be surprised also, you know, if you offered paid support for your plugin, potentially people would, would buy it because it is difficult when you're on the other side. You know, the, the expectation for support is zero. We've mm -hmm. all got our experience, whether it's your phone that's broken or anything in your life. When you call support or your bank or, or any, you know it's going to be long, you know it's going to be tedious, mm -hmm. and you're not even sure you're going to get an answer. So to actually give the ability to people to say, well, I need some help and I've got the option to pay for that help, to have help guaranteed. I think it sells itself in a sense. I would, I would like to publicly thank telecommunication companies around the world for setting the bar <laughs> so low. It is. <laughs> You know, often the reaction, I mean, people write in, our response time is phenomenal. We, we're very, very good. I won't give figures, but we're very good. We respond very quickly to, to things, pro or not. I shouldn't say that, sorry. Uh oh. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Our response time are, are really good. Pro, pro support comes first, pro and premium, sorry. But often people's reaction just to receive an email, an email back is, oh, wow, you replied. Right. You know, as, as you said, the expectations are, are so low. You, mm. You're just sending an email in the e file hoping that some machine or something's going to, and all of a sudden you've got someone on the other side with a smiley face and, you know, willing to help and stuff. It's, it's a big deal. And I think it's, I think that. I think it's a it's a business in itself. There's scope for it. We've got a lovely community as well, so it's now you're not going to get attacked. You know such. what I what I'm finding that which is related, and and maybe Ben and and yourself, Ali, can relate to this. I don't know, but it's related to not enough information being sent in with support tickets. Which is that as the plugins that I have get more and more mature, the problems that people run into get more and more obscure and edge case. Yes. Yeah. to where I need so much context to even be able to figure it out, right? Because my, my mantra is, if I can reproduce it, I can fix it, right? So the, the biggest hurdle for me is being able to reproduce stuff. But as these things get more and more mature, the, the problems I run into are so obscure that I find myself having to jump on, for instance, screen shares more often because it just would take so long to get the exact environment or the exact information that I need in order to be able to replicate it. Have either of you mm. run into that at all? Yes, yes. I, I do and I do the same thing so it's our 
discretion, you know, but if I feel that something is too complicated or, or communication again, you know, some people just don't know how to explain things well and you, you can't blame someone for that. So I, I have done just let's jump on a call and we do it. We do it face to face. I think it's just easier sometimes. Have you run into that at all, Ben, where the context that you need is, is getting more and more? Yeah, sometimes asynchronous communication doesn't cut it. And I say, you know, let's chat or let's have a call because because other way, otherwise we're just going to be going back and forth on all day and I'm going to get frustrated. You're going to get frustrated. So absolutely. Uh, this also makes me think of the craft there's like craft support in the control panel dashboard, right? Mm-hmm. And as far as I remember that, does that send logs or something about your, your craft installation to, yes. to craft CMS? So yes, it does. Is that a common feature? Because that seems like it might be incredibly useful if you can get like context about the person's craft version, PHP version, mm-hmm. what plugins they're running, that kind of thing. We get a fair amount coming via the, the widget, but the, the, the majority is still just email. Yeah. Yeah, I'm telling so you, Ben, if you offered some kind of a premium support, I would buy it just so I could hear your sultry voice, you know, once a month. I would use up my, my hour or two, whatever I would need, you know? What about you, Patrick? Would you be phoning him up? at just night, for- New York time, and just tell me a bedtime story. Yeah, come on, Ben. T- talk to me a little bit here. <laughs> I mean, the, the concept is super reassuring. You know, you must have been in that position. You're all developers. You've all made websites or products or, or anything. When you're stuck, to know that you can call on someone, it's invaluable. Yeah. And we probably, I'm sure we all have this kind of love-hate relationship with support because it, it does feel really good to be able to help somebody and help mm. them figure out their problem. And it's a very gratifying thing to do. It's just that sometimes it's too much and we're, we're developers at heart and we want to build stuff stuff and of course support is part of that but it's not just that and one thing ollie ollie i know you're not on twitter and discord but i just want to call this out because i've seen especially lately but probably all the time uh, i see these tweets about people saying how amazing the craft cms support is and people even calling you out by name ollie so you guys must be doing something well over there there was something yesterday it's the first time to be honest because i'm not on social media myself i guess Mm. people can't find me to start with and i don't go after that i i check craft twitter uh, so craft cms you mm-hmm. know regularly and from there there's always brad and brandon on the side so i looked at theirs every now and then but that's it really yesterday yeah we had i helped somebody and he decided to tweet about it and all of a sudden there was a lot of people saying yeah ollie ollie and that was quite touching you know it's quite rewarding but i find the reward without that were they chanting ollie 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 oi oi oi, 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 oi. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't australian they were they were english i believe i think but yeah and <laughs> it and was you, very you you know, I must admit to get to get some feedback because I get some within the team, of course, and everybody's very happy with my work, and and I feel it myself. You know, when I perform and when I don't, I know when when I'm good and when I'm not. And but, he was worried you're going to come out here and, and out him on all of his dumb support requests. But I agree with you; that's not the way it works because we really do enjoy helping people, and it it really is rewarding. The the only part of support that I find that I just really do not enjoy is the nonsense that I have to do in order to get enough information all the information that I need in order to be able to help them. Like I want to help them. I enjoy helping people, but that information gathering part of it and being able and having to like pull all of that out just so I can solve the problem that I find really tedious sometimes. Well, here's an idea, Andrew. I wonder if you could build a widget into your plugins that if somebody's having an issue and you're already at this stage where you need more information, they can click a little button that says send send a support request with all of my the context of my craft site. Yeah, 
I mean, here's the thing. Like, I need so a lot of again. What I was saying is, a lot of these problems are getting more and more obscure. You know, like mm. people are using these crazy load balancer headless setups, and it happens. It's just so so obscure that I don't even know. Like the the boilerplate information that I could get from something like that, it might be helpful, but usually not. You know, it's it's only part of the story, right? Yeah, you need like a Stripe form hooked up with that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Right, 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 exactly. You yeah. can buy one hour to start, and we'll see where it goes from there. But if that's... I remember well, uh, Josh used to do that for FeedMe. Mm. So the, I think the plugin had a widget, and it would send uh, the feeds table to him directly and some context as such, so that the, the first ticket, the incoming ticket, could already be worked on, yeah. as opposed to just be a, you'd have to respond just to ask information straight away. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like we, I enjoy building tools that other people use to then build their stuff Mm -hmm. but i don't and i enjoy doing the support and i enjoy helping them to to do this stuff i just really don't enjoy everything that i need to do when i i need to reproduce a problem so i am probably more inclined than most people to just jump on a a video call with somebody because i have found that i can just get to the bottom of what i need so much quicker than you know the dozen or so back and forth replies on github or something like that that's not very scalable though you can't be on a call with everybody all the time it's not yeah that's the problem it's not yeah yeah sometimes the first response is is very useful especially when you don't have enough information I, I'm, sh- I'm sure you don't mean this andrew but before getting on a call i would always send back a response with okay have you checked this and this and what are you on the late are you on the latest uh, version of the plugin because you're giving you're giving like ollie said people are not really in their normal they're not you know in their senses they're kind of mm. maybe in a panic or something and you're just giving them the time to calm down think about the problem tackle it you know maybe check that they've updated the plugin and and maybe given them some ideas of what they could do to fix it but yeah at, at some stage maybe you do need to get on a call but as ollie says that doesn't scale well unfortunately yeah. this is a technique you know oh, well i do it from time to time you you receive an email with a problem you offer some suggestion or some stuff and then you receive a, another quick response yeah but it's not working and you just let it let it sit for just 30 or 40 mm. minutes and then the next email oh is oh i've worked it out yeah that's also known as the rubber duck support scheme that happens a lot you know and I, I think it's it's valuable for for the person on the other side and i think if it can be monetized it should be it should be i'm, I'm not one for free things so ali i don't want to get you in trouble right but mm-hmm. i do you know when i used to run a software company one of the things that i allowed my support staff to do no questions asked they could fire one customer a month. I left it totally up to their discretion. And I said, hey, look, I trust you. I know that sometimes you got to put up with crap that you shouldn't have to put up with. You don't have to ask me. Just do it if you want to do it. Have you ever run into situations like that where someone is just being abusive and you're just like, I got to I gotta step back from this? Abusive, never. It gets above above my head sometimes, you know, so I don't have the skills as such. So I need to call on Brad, for example, or something. And because I've got this tendency of wanting to help and being kind, sometimes I can feel when I'm just getting abused a little bit. Not verbally or anything, you know, but people are just not making the effort anymore. Yeah, taking and, advantage of. 
Yeah. That's it. And in those uh, those situations, I would ask Brad or Brandon for <laughs> for help on, on those tickets because I just I, w- I wouldn't know how to say it. I just wouldn't know how to say it myself. You know, I find it very hard to not help. It is, as, as I said when we started, you know, it's something I, I chose to do. It's not a job I fell into by accident or whatever. This is actually deep in me to want to help. So I, w- I would carry on, but sometimes it's just I, I can see when it's not when it's not sensible anymore. You know, when it's not logical. And in that case, I would. I mean, I'm sure I would have the authority to do it. Brad and Brandon must trust me to to leave me. Well, I'm sort of front line on on things. You know, they don't check on my work or anything. So I'm sure if they they would trust my judgment on something like that. But I wouldn't have it in me to do it. There is there is no one I would want to to sack as a as a customer as such. Yeah, no, I get it. I was just curious because in in it, even though I gave them that power. It, I think it happened like maybe once or twice in mm. a decade. You know, it was a very rare thing, but it was, I think they appreciated that. I'm just like, look, man, I don't expect you to be subjected to any kind of nonsense. So, you know, here's the power to do it. But I'll Most be- people are nice. Most yeah. people are, are, are very nice people writing. Well, we know our community. There's there's a vast amount of people using Craft, which are not part of the what we call the community that you've never seen on Stack Exchange, never yeah. seen on Discord or whatever. So there's this silent crowd that also exists. But most people are kind, and as I said, surprised by the fact that we're here to help. Often you send an email for support and you never hear. Try and email Google support and see what you get. Yeah. No, and I think yeah. I think that comes from the top, right? So they say that culture comes from leadership and I Definitely. you know I'm being really really nice to, to Brandon but I think he sets an example that I think the community reflects that to, to some extent so for sure. For sure. that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast if you enjoy the show make sure to subscribe tell a friend drop us a review we really appreciate it tell Patrick to make this shorter someday for the someday for the <laughs> devmode.fm podcast I'm Andrew Welch I'm Patrick Harrington and thank you Ben Croker for coming on Thank you. Bye-bye. And thank you, Ali Bond. <laughs> Pleasure. episode like a half a dozen times my son kept on like facetiming me did you get did this audio come across at all i didn't hear it at all thank god it was so loud it like blew my ears off and i'm hitting like decline 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 i'm like stop stop you're driving me crazy just like you do with support requests right oh (laughs) let me tell you you let me tell you the support requests from the kids are are something else